0: We are, uh, last week we embarked on a journey through the book of James. And um, James 1 is a little different than the other chapters of James. Um, James 1 has a lot of different thoughts and it's hard to figure out exactly what the flow of his mind is. And then 2, 3, and 4, and 5 is different. It's pretty much very understandable the flow and he's dealing with you know larger subjects in terms of how many verses on each one so it's like um not quite half but like 40 percent of the entire series is in james one because there's so many different subjects he's dealing with and because our time is limited um i'm taking verse 12 and i'm bringing it into our sermon this morning on verses two to four Because verse 12 doesn't really relate very clearly, obviously, anyway, to the verses around it. But it relates very well to the verses that we're going to be, in verses 2 to 4. So it it may seem strange, but that's... uh, Our reading today is James 1, 2 to 4, and 12. And the sermon, this is the passage in James, which... James, perhaps, is most well-known for, count it all joy. So let's read James 1, 2, 3, 4, and 12. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Then skipping over to verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Well, the first thing that hits you when you read these verses is the strange way that James begins his epistle. He immediately jumps into exhortation without any niceties, except for the greetings in the first verse, and no affirmations, no affection expressed for them. It leads us to think that, at least in James' mind, The life of these people has been dominated by troubles and by burdens. And so he begins by saying, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. So what were their sufferings? Well, we're giving in the book of James a couple of examples of things that they were going through in in chapter two verse 7 we're told that rich people were hauling them into court and uh, 6 and 7 and and scorning their faith and of course this makes sense in light of the fact that they were Christian Jews living in the context of a, a hostile culture they were a persecuted minority but James isn't referring to just a few specific kinds of trial. He's referring to various trials. He even says that in verse 4. So there are trials which are common to everyone. Loneliness, disappointment, sorrows, physical illnesses, financial reversals, the death of a loved one, wounds from mistreatment, And many others. And so I'd like to just walk through this passage and meditate upon what James is saying to us here. First, about trials and their purpose. James is telling us that trials are a part of the Christian life. And that second of all, the trials are designed to help us to grow. And here James joins both Peter and John, who explicitly said the same thing. Romans 5, 2 and 4, and 1 Peter 1, 5 to 7. That God has a purpose for the difficulties in our lives, for our good. And then finally, James says that how we respond... To these trials is crucial, both in an earthly sense and in an eternal sense. Now, the word for the word for trial here in verse two can mean either an outward trial or an inward temptation. Some places it means one, some places it means the other, and some places are ambiguous. You can tell in this context that it means outward trials because of the idea of enduring it whereas if it was an inward temptation it would be something we should resist but here it's something we endure so it's an outward trial that he has in mind that doesn't mean of course that none of these things can be helpful in terms of an inward temptation but that's not what's primarily on his mind you see, we think what we need is to escape from our trials, but what we really need is to be changed. What we really need is to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. And trials are an essential ingredient to that growth. Really, it's a beautiful thing. The other day I was reading in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, which says, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Now this isn't anything extraordinary. This is the kind of thing we find frequently in the New Testament. But you know what's so extraordinary about this verse? Is who wrote it? This is Peter. This is impetuous, proud, harsh, Arrogant, insensitive Peter. He's the one saying, All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Now what explains this? Well, this is late in Peter's life. He's gone through many trials. And this is the effect that trials have you see the maturity in Peter that has come about from his trials. And it's a beautiful thing. The problem is that many times we Christians don't really have a sense of how much we need to change. We like being forgiven. We like being assured. We like being affirmed. We like hearing promises about heaven to come but we don't necessarily like being sanctified and often we don't really feel the great need to be sanctified let me ask you a question are you the same person you used to be can you see any progress which has been made in your life with regard to things like thankfulness humility Stability, patience, compassion? If so, how were those changes accomplished in your life? Was it not at least partly on account of hardships and trials? And do you regret those hardships and trials in light of the fruit that they've borne in your life? And if you don't regret those trials in the past, can you not trust your Heavenly Father with future trials that He will send? Or present trials that you're experiencing? Which is more important to us? A smooth life? Or a life that is prepared for heaven? I think one of the saddest tragedies in life is the tragedy of wasted pain. I mean, if you're going to experience pain, it ought to have some good effect, for it's just wasted. The pain is not the tragedy. The tragedy is pain which produces no good result, which doesn't humble us. Which doesn't teach us to trust. Which doesn't produce the fruit of endurance or maturity. Which is the fruit of trials that James says is is what's supposed to be happening to us. Endurance and maturity. The word uh, that's translated endurance here or steadfastness in other translations implies that someone is holding on for a reason. There is a hope involved and implied in the word which enables the endurance. It's not just endurance out of a self of, a sense of, you know, protecting yourself. Self-survival, the survival instinct. Not just endurance for the sake of endurance. It's not Endurance, which was just going to go on forever. It's endurance for now, because we believe that if we hang on, relief is coming. So it's more like making it home through a bad storm than it is like running into your basement to try to survive through a tornado. This isn't passive endurance, but brave endurance, like getting somewhere in spite of obstacles and opposition. I remember when I was in high school playing on the soccer team. At the beginning of the soccer season, they would work hard to get us in shape. And that was not fun. We ran wind sprints, and then after that was over, we ran more wind sprints and more wind sprints. And kids would be throwing up. And we'd keep pressing on. It was torture. Now, I love playing soccer. But I hated running wind sprints. So what was the point? Why did they work us so hard? Well, the reason is because the team needed us at the end of the game... Just as much as they did at the beginning of the game. They needed us to play just as hard at the end of the second half as at the beginning of the first half. And so the thing that we had to keep in mind was that I need this to play the way that I want to play. This is good for me and good for my team. Though it feels terrible now, I will be glad about it later. Similarly, the trials James is talking about are trials with a goal, with a purpose. And that means that even though they're not enjoyable, we can remember that they are indeed worthwhile. A muscle becomes strong when it regularly faces resistance. Thus faith gains strength in trial. And the goal here is not just endurance, it's also maturity, as you can see. So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And the idea here is maturity, not perfection. Behind these, these Greek words, the difficulties of life are intended by God to refine our faith. Like gold is refined in the fire. But it has to go through the fire first for it to become purified and improved. And that's what the Christian life is like. Jesus, I mean John said, refers to, the, to this in Revelation nine. It's an amazing statement, really. He says... He's introducing the letter. He says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? He introduces himself as their fellow partaker in the tribulation, in the kingdom... And in the perseverance of Jesus. Yes, we're all in this together. This is who we are. This is what Christians' lives are like. We are tried. We go through tribulation. We are part of a kingdom. And we persevere through the trials. Jesus did it, the apostles did it, and now we're doing it. It's just the way it is. It's part of the prescription, part of the curriculum. And now James calls us, therefore, when we go through trials, to consider it all joy. Usually we think of things in our lives to be happy about as those things which are pleasant. But for the believer, even the hard things, even the seemingly horrible things, are for our good. God has a purpose for our trials. To do good things in our lives. And that's something to be happy about. And that's why he calls us to consider it all joy. When we experience trials. He's not asking us to be happy in trials by sheer willpower. He's telling us to be happy in trials by, because we believe the truth about what's actually happening. What those trials are actually about. Believers can react to trials with so strange and unexpected a response as joy because we know that God uses trials to help us grow in faith and to make us stronger as Christians because we understand what's behind the pain. We understand that pain, first of all, is short-lived. We understand that pain leads to something good. We understand that earthly pain produces eternal pleasure far beyond all comparison to the earthly pain. 2 Corinthians 4.17 Think about how different this is from the counsel that the world gives us about when we experience trauma and mistreatment and suffering or the way our own hearts Instinctually react. And certainly it's appropriate to stand up for others who are being mistreated. And I think there's even a time to stand up for yourself for the sake of others. But the first principle of how to be mistreated in a godly fashion is to consider it joy and welcome the good fruit God promises to bring through it. There are some among us who may find it painful to even hear these words. They bear in their souls a wound so deep that it feels like it never can be healed. Or they carry a burden that's so heavy that they feel like it's about to crush them. Or they feel a sorrow so deep that it's hard to think of anything else. How is it possible for someone like this to count it all joy? Well, first of all, I don't think James is asking his, his readers to just walk away from their pain or to stop feeling grief. Even Jesus wept and experienced grief and was once so burdened that he sweat drops of blood. James doesn't mean that we shouldn't experience deep Agonizing pain. But he does mean. That we should not grieve in the same way. As those who have no hope grieve. He does mean that for the believer. The pain of trials should be sweetened. By the joy of faith. He's asking them to remember. The redemptive value of sufferings. For instance, and this is an analogy the scripture itself gives us, but not in this context, but in other contexts. A woman in labor must not dwell only on her discomfort. She must remember what it's for. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's overwhelming. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it seems to go on and on. But it's actually relatively short. And it's accomplishing something wonderful. You are bringing a little person into the world whom you will love more than you've ever loved anything in your whole life. We should think about our suffering in the same way. No matter how painful it is, it is ultimately short lived. And it is sent to accomplish wonderful things in our lives. God asks us to believe his promises that there is a redemptive purpose for our pain. He asks us to believe that one day we will not only be healed, but we will be glad that it happened. Because we'll see its purpose and its value and the good fruit which came from it. And he asks us, therefore, to keep sowing Even when our hearts are breaking. As it says in Psalm 126, 5 and 6. But verse 12 adds one more dimension to this. Blessed is is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he's been approved, he'll receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him faithfulness in the face of trials has two great effects according to James first it produces steadfastness and maturity and that's a good thing second of all it brings God's blessing now we know that this is true in an earthly sense we know that that uh, when we are when we bear trials faithfully that God is with us that God is accompanies us through through the valley of the shadow of death. If that's what we're going through. But what James here has in mind in verse 12, is the eternal blessings. The crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who persevere in their love for him, even through the valley of troubles. On that day, we will experience... What is said in Romans 8.18. The sufferings of the present time. Are not worthy to be compared. With the glory that is to be revealed to us. And John says the same thing in Revelation 2.10. Do not fear. I'm sorry. This is in Revelation. And ultimately John wrote Revelation. Revelation. But in this particular verse John is quoting, "Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life." If we are going to be healthy happy, well-adjusted human beings. We need to understand why we're here. We need to understand what our lives are for. More than anything else, we are here to be prepared for another world and another life. This life isn't ultimately about this life. It's not about our health or our family or our career, or our country. This life is about our souls. It is preparation for our souls for the next life. It's about preparing us to receive the crown of life. And when the strife is fierce, the warfare long. There steals on the ear that distant triumph song, and hearts are brave again, and arms are strong. Hallelujah. That's from the hymn for all the saints, but it's sadly the verse that our hymnal left out. Now, this whole idea of counting it all joy when you experience various trials is not something James came up with himself. He got it from his brother. He got it from Jesus who said, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. What Jesus said there at the end of the Beatitudes is almost identical, different words, but it's just this in terms of says here. Now, this kind of thing is easy to say, and I'll bet you anything. That if it was possible to do some kind of a survey to find out how James 1, 2 and following are used in the Christian church, it's much more frequently quoted one person to another, counted all joy, than quoted from one person to himself. It's just easy to say this, isn't it? It's easy to... Counsel another person, remind them of what this says. But it is much, much harder to to actually put this into practice. But who has a greater right to exhort us in this than our Lord Jesus, who experienced the ultimate persecution Mocking, who is despised and rejected, pierced and crushed, like a lamb who is led to slaughter. And yet, this Jesus is the one who tells us to rejoice. Because he knew, when he came face to face with his sufferings, he knew about the joy That it would bring to pass. And therefore, he was able to endure it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And we see how ultimately he was satisfied in Isaiah 53 11. As a result of the anguish of his soul, He will see it and be satisfied. And Jesus grew up reading that verse in his Bible. Knowing that that verse was about him. Just as we have James 1 and Matthew 5 in our Bibles. And we know those verses are about us. So how can we live in the way that Jesus calls us to live that James calls us to live that Jesus himself lived Hebrews 12 tells us let us run with endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on Jesus when we suffer we need to remember his suffering not only just to remember that he loves us not only to put our sufferings in context with his sufferings but to remember that the cross teaches us that suffering is God's secret weapon to bring about righteousness and peace the Lord disciplines the one he loves it is never pleasant at the time but to those who are trained by it it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness. Hebrews 12. We can't live joyfully in the face of trials without God's help. I love Colossians 1:11 where Paul says talks about how we are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For what purpose? To do great miracles? We're strengthened with all power according to His great might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. So when we are feeling weak or overwhelmed, when we feel weighed down by the burdens of life, Jesus invites us to come to me and I will give you rest. For many years, I didn't do this very much. My tendency was just to move on from pain and try to put it behind me. I survived trials that way, but I certainly didn't have joy in the face of trials. You can't count it all joy unless you meet Jesus in the trial. I told you a while back that the Lord had met me in many of the things in my past that had been causing me pain. And that I was still struggling with counting my parents' divorce as joy. And I even told you that I was wearing this ring, which was my father's wedding ring, to remind me to keep seeking the Lord, to ask him how my parents' divorce could be seen redemptively, how it did me good, which was very hard to to come to. And I'm still doing that, although the Lord has given me much help in that area. But I've decided to keep wearing the ring, even whether the Lord completely answers that prayer or not, just to remind me That when I'm in the midst of pain, that I need to seek the Lord in my pain. That is, I need to look for Jesus in my pain. 32 years ago, we had a house fire. Some of you remember. The day after the fire, Marianne and I walked through the ashes to see if there was anything worth saving. You know, and we found a few things. Some of you have been through very painful experiences in your life. I think it might be good for you to walk through the ashes of those experiences to see what joy might be found there. Is there some treasure that came out of it? Is there some way it corrected your view of life in this world? Is there some way it prepared you to help others? What treasure might there be in the ashes of your experience that you might be able to find joy there? Go through the ashes and and pray that God... Would reveal himself to you there. Ask Jesus to meet you. There. He's done it for me. Maybe he'll do it for you too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ. We know that. Although we have suffered. That. Your suffering. Is far greater than ours. And that you are not calling us to do anything that you haven't already done. And yet, dear Lord, our our suffering seems like a burden we cannot bear sometimes. We thank you that you are the one who gives comfort and gives rest and heals the heart. And we also thank you that you are the one who has a good purpose in all things. And that has promised us things for our good. If we love you and are called according to your purpose. So Lord, we trust you. And we pray that you would allow us to know the joy of that faith. Even when it feels like our hearts are being torn out of us. And now, dear Lord, it is our joy to turn our attention to the Lord's Supper, where we remember what Jesus did, and where we get to actually taste the benefits of his torture and his suffering, that we get to receive life that comes from his death. Help us to meet Jesus here, dear Lord. We need Him. We pray in His name. Amen.